You're listening to MedEx, the Medical Extrusion Podcast. Presented by U.S. Extruders. Extrude with confidence. Custom extrusion equipment designed for you and your application. Welcome to the MedEx Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Maxson. Today's guest is Tyler Ware, president and owner of GenX Medical based in Chattanooga, Tennessee. GenX Medical is an ISO 13485 certified producer of medical tubing from microbore, large bore, multi-lumen, and more. Tyler, thanks so much for taking the time out to join the MedEx podcast today. Hey, you're welcome, Steve. Thanks for having me. It's real good to see you, buddy. Let's start off to talk about your background and how you got into medical extrusion in the first place. Okay. Well, I graduated from UTC with a chemical engineering degree. My first job out of college was actually doing extrusion. And then I didn't really like it so much. Got into working on houses and building houses. And then on this fishing website, one day somebody was just said, put a post up there. What do you do for work? And I said, I used to do extrusion. Um, lo and behold, a friend of mine, his name is Michael Holt, was looking at that website. Saw that I did extrusion, was looking for an extrusion guy. So he sends me an email and says, hey, you want to get back into extrusion? So I'm like, yeah, sure. Why not? I was, it was the housing market was not good. It was 2009. So then me and Michael went out and fished for a day, saw if we could get along. And uh, he decided to hire me. And so I started my medical extrusion at a place called Excellent in Trenton, Georgia. And had a lot of experience, walk out the door and was kind of thrown to the wolves and learned a lot there. And then... From there, you know the story from where you hired me to help you out, and you kind of threw me to the wolves a, a, a little bit. So then <laughs> yep. that forced me to learn a little bit more, and so that's just the story. Of, I mean, just kind of falling into place, and I didn't seek it out. I just knew about melted plastic and was in the right place at the right time. So we like to just help other people out and try to give them the opportunity to. It's just it's a hard industry to get to, yep. and a fun one changes so much. Every day is new. Yeah, I was just at the right place at the right time. Yeah, your your passion for fishing and medical extrusion came together to really help you out. Yes, they did. Yep. So eight hours on a boat was probably the best interview I've ever had in my entire <laughs> life. Yeah, yeah. Life. <laughs> we, and then I think we went and had lunch and then another lake. And Michael says, well, if I can spend eight hours on a boat with you, then I think I like you. And so because you're close, you're tight. And that was the first day I ever met him. And uh yeah, still friends with a guy, so it's awesome. Yeah, it's a small community there. Yeah. You're, you're going on seven years in business now, right? Yeah, seven and, years. And in, in MedTech, it typically takes three to seven years for a program to go from prototype, V&V, to serial production. So yep. Are you starting to see some of the programs that you worked on at a very early stage go into higher volume production? For sure. Yeah. One of our very first early on customers, we started out, we're making 200 tubes, 200 tubes. And we're like, and the next thing you know, they're like, oh, we need 5,000. And we're like, uh, 5,000. And so then you put out 5,000, you learn <laughs> what issues you had going from 200 to 5,000. And so that's, I mean, I think that one we're making 50,000 a month now. Hmm. And this happened, we probably have 
four customers that have production going right now. Okay. I would say 30, 35% of our extrusion time is making production items. And then we've had some that are right at production and then the companies just fall off the planet and you don't hear from them anymore. And I mean, they're no longer existent. So you think they were about to go and it was ramping up and then it just goes away. But hmm. yeah, so I would say three years is what we've seen really. Okay. I know we've also come in as secondary suppliers on some of these and ramped up much faster because yeah. we're taking business from other companies. But the ones that start from nothing, it's been about three years. You start off with a hundred tubes here and then you're putting out 5,000, 10,000 a month. And then you get orders, blanket orders for a year out. And so they drive forecast and we try to just keep supply going so nobody loses. And yeah, it definitely takes a while. And so you got to learn to manage as you're just pumping stuff out. And like when you don't really know if orders are going to come in because they're not production orders. And so, it's kind of hard to grow a business from scratch, not knowing that, not having yeah. that production, but it's going good now. Yeah. We're having a great time. Yeah. Those forecasts give you some visibility for the future so you can plan infrastructure resources. For sure. And it's important for them so that we can be ready so that then we don't fall behind, you know, cause right. when they need the tubes, we need to have them ready to go. And so, yeah, the, right. the forecast is a win-win. So it helps us plan helps us be ready so we don't fall behind and get lead times too long and all that. So, Okay. Let's talk about your partnership with Chamfer, the online marketplace for catheter yep. components. You were one of the early sellers for Chamfer, you know, five years ago. How has that relationship transitioned? The same kind of question as before. Did some of the programs or prototype tubing that you sold through Chamfer early on transition into production or just give us a, a the lay of the yeah. land of your relationship with chamfer and how that's affected your business yeah so i mean i think we were actually the first person to tell chamfer we're, we're going to pull the trigger let's go and so then there was a group of us that all put our products on there at the same time um, yeah but we have a customer that has four or five production items they came to us through chamfer and made up hdpe ldpe tube for another customer and then they're like oh we needed a kneel too and i didn't have a way to kneel it hmm. so they're, they're like oh we don't want it and so we just put it on chamfer and customer bought it didn't hear from them and then probably a year later they're like we love these we've been doing development with these and so then they started ordering that tube and then that led to a relationship and we started producing other stuff for them and yeah that actually we have a pretty good relationship with them and they're one of our top five customers now, which is pretty cool. And then all the time we're, we still, we go back and we contact customers from Chamfer and say, Hey, we see you bought this. There's anything else we can help you with. And then people are like, Oh, you do online. I mean, you can do custom stuff too. And so then we, we do that. And it's, it's definitely given us more customer base. I think we have like 75 customers. I would say hmm. probably 15 or 20 have come from relationships on Chamfer with the one being actually a very large relationship now and a lot of production. So that's cool. That's a great yeah, It's story. helped us out for that. I know it helps our customers out a lot because they're like, oh, we've been buying this and buying this. Can we now get more specific? And then they dial it in close. And so I think it's a win-win for everybody. Great. Tyler, from our experience working together, you're a real hands-on guy and you push yourself to solve very challenging extrusion applications. 
Yes. I believe I might have, as you mentioned, I might have presented some of those challenges to you, right? <laughs> you definitely presented challenges to me. That's a, that's a whole that's podcast on its own, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Talk about some of the things that you've done to bring capabilities in-house so that you're less reliant on others and it allows you to do some things technically that others can't do. Right. So we do a good bit of that, actually. And that kind of just came out of need. So I would say that one of the first things we did is we ended up making a coiling machine just because we had a customer that wanted some coil duct. And we're trying to get it coiled. And then people are like, oh, you, you really need this. And we're like, yeah, we really need that. And then they started no quoting, no quoting. And I'm like, well, let's turn this puller we have into a coiler. And so we had a puller and so we weren't using it. Built the whole thing to coil over that. Well, actually, before that, we had tried to purchase some peak from a customer, a supplier, and they really wanted a lot of money and they wanted me to pay up front and we're new. And we didn't have a lot of cash. And I'm like, can you work with me on terms? And they're like, no, pay up front cash. So we canceled our PO. Somebody sent us a 10-pound sample of peak. We made it ourselves. So I'm not going to mention the name, but thank you very much for ripping me off because then <laughs> I was able to, to, to yeah. start making peak myself. And then through running peak and coiling peak on this machine we had, we started learning that we need to make the peak stronger. So then we made another machine to draw it down. Mm -hmm. uh, so we make a filament and then we have two rollers and a heater and this one runs at this speed and we can set the speed of this one and stretch it basically to orient it all. And we made that. We make all of our tops. We make our own walks just because they mm -hmm. can do, they, they do, do what we need and not too much. And then like we, I'd say one of the biggest things we've gotten is a CNC. So we, we make all of our own tooling in house now. So that's really helped the process of making multi-lumens. We went through 12 dies two weeks ago to make a multi-lumen for a customer. And that was over two days. And I mean, if you had to send that out and you're like, tweak this, I need a couple thou here and a couple thou there. And it just adds up, but we wanted to get it perfect and we got it perfect. And so that helps a lot. We've been making inserts for our coasters and heads to do stripes. So then we can change the stripe width and really helped dial that in just made all we just made a multi-lumen with a stripe never done it somebody said can you do it and yeah. i'm like we'll try and we just made all this stuff and it worked out so yeah i mean just it really just comes from a need and like when people are asking for stuff and then i see what what have you gotten before and they, so they send me a picture of what they bought and i'm like yeah we can definitely beat that and so then we, we figure out how we're gonna do it and make it and sometimes you fail Sometimes you, you learn. I mean, we were, we're running the CNC for a long time. And I'm talking to my buddy. He's like, dude, you're doing it wrong. No wonder you're killing tooling. And I'm like, oh, yes, we're doing it wrong. And so like we learned, but we were making tooling. We were just going about machining it the right, the wrong yeah. way. Um, I knew how to get it to do what I, I taught myself to get the CNC to work, but I didn't know how to optimize my tooling. And so, yeah, it's just a lot of stuff. So it's fun. Yeah. We make our own payoffs as well for several products that are very specific and it's one payoff for a specific item because nothing else will do what we need to do. So. Excellent. Yeah. It's cool. let's, yeah. Let, that's very interesting. Let's, let's transition to some of the interesting extrusions that you've been involved with. And we'll start with the, the kink resistant 
peak coil reinforced tubing that you referred yep. to earlier. So you mentioned that not only do you extrude peak filament, but you, you draw it down to align the polymer chains, increase the tensile strength. I know there's a core mandrel that's usually used for a manufacturing aid in that process. Walk us through that kink resistant peak coil re reinforced tubing technology that you've developed. Okay. Yeah. So we actually, we do two types of coiling. We coil a metal and then we also do a peak. And so the metal one, we put over an HDPE cord that we make. And so a lot of people use a seedle core. It's hard. It's pretty easy to make round. It doesn't stretch very well. So we made ours out of polyethylene so that it's really slick, stretches and comes out. And so we extrude the polyethylene core and then we extrude over that with whatever resin is needed. And then we'll go and coil over that. And then we'll run that back through the extruder. And on this particular process, we do a vacuum. So we're vacuuming it down onto the coil. And it kind of makes a rigid surface. But for the kink resistance, it is actually what this customer wanted. Mm -hmm. um, and so then after we put the second layer on, we'll pull the core out, cut it to length. And so that's a product. Another one we make is we'll get Teflon on top of silver plated copper. And this Teflon stays on the wire, and then we'll mm -hmm. extrude over that, coil over that with peak, extrude over that. And then we run that second extrusion that was a, called a pressure extrusion. So it's seeing really high pressure inside the die, and it fills in all the gaps of the coil, mm -hmm. and it leaves you with a really smooth OD. For that process, you have to really... We're, we haven't been able to use our core that we make yet because it's just it's so high pressure high temperature a lot yeah. of force and it just breaks the plastic core so on that one you need a metal and so yeah. that's why we use sword blade copper uh, so there's kind of a difference we're still working on it we haven't given up we're still working on trying to make our own core that will go through pressure extrusion and hold up and just because we like to be self-sufficient mm -hmm. and nobody wants to wait six weeks on somebody to get core to us and then sometimes right. it's trash and you're like <laughs> okay another yeah. six weeks in yeah and then you're having to argue whether you think their core is bad and whatnot and so um yeah it's a it's a pr cool process and they're both end up very different look and different feel but they both have the same thing as kink resistance and that, that's yeah. what people are looking for with kink with the coiling so you mentioned that you're using a, a pressure tooling setup so that yep. you could get the outer jacket kind of within the interstices of the of the coil members an alternative approach would be like tubing tooling where you kind of lay it on after the die can you just briefly explain that the difference between pressure tubing tooling and tubing tooling setups yeah folks yeah, out so, there that are, go ahead yeah i mean and so with with the tubing light we're basically you know that the polymer's coming out of a die that might be 200 thousandths OD and we're drawing it down onto a core that's say a hundred thousandths OD. And so then you'll hook a vacuum up to the back to suck the air out and pull it down onto it. And so mm -hmm. this method, you could basically make a tube, you get the walls right, right you get the concentricity right, and then you feed through and suck it down onto it. And so that if you have ridges such as coil or braid, basically it's just going on top of it. Um, mm -hmm. Pressure extrusion, you have to have a tip that is just a few thousandths over the size of your max OD of your core. So that you feed it through and then 
you have a die that is the size of the product you want. And so this polymer is hitting all of that coil product or we, we can hope to and is pushing the pot to all of that long before it comes out the die. And so it'll see 2000 PSI and then basically the die acts like a, a squeegee and just like pulls all the extra material off. And so all that material just gets hung back there and is pushed into the braid. And then the die just makes it smooth with a nice OD, the size you want. And so one of them, I mean, when, when it sees 2000 PSI inside that head and you're pulling on it, it's, it's pulling some force. And mm-hmm. I've seen it want to pull a puller across the room where it's pulling it backwards where somebody didn't have the belts tightened down. So yeah, that's why we just can't do it with the polymer core. We got to use a metal core, but okay. it's really just, it's, it's easier to draw to say, okay, here's where the tip, our tip doesn't stick out of the die on a pressure extrusion. It sits back in there. Yep. And yep. so it's you have this gum space of like a quarter inch of polymer before it comes out the die. And so it's just forcing it in everywhere. Okay. Interesting. But it makes a huge difference. It really makes it smooth. Yeah. And, and it allows that material to, to adhere to the polymer on the inside as well, too. Right. Gotcha. The better bonding or of the of the two polymers in or out. Sure. Yeah. Let's talk about some of the work that you've done to overcome some of the challenges associated with extruding large bore, very soft tubing. So when I say large bore, you know, 24 French, 300 thou, that's pretty, that's getting up there for minimally invasive tubing for, for normal semi-compliant materials, nylon 12, higher durometer p maybe not so much of a challenge, but when you're talking about very soft shore A, polyurethanes that can be very challenging walk us through some of the challenges associated with extruding large bore very soft tubing thin wall right you know so a lot of large tooling is made with calibrators so some type of sizing disc Mm -hmm. and some vacuum so that's we we do this on on several tubes that are large it's just a common thing but then you get the sticky tubing 25 DP backs all the way to say 55 P backs 80 A's, 90 A urethanes. Um, I mean, we run some of these up to half inch and five thou wall. And it's just it's so sticky. It, you can't do a vacuum sizing or it's just going to stick and adhere to everything. And so we have to go back to a conventional iris method. And so then you, you're working on like, how do you actually keep this thing in size? Because if tube floats all the way, the top's going to stretch a little bit more than the bottom because the top's sitting out of water and takes longer to cool. So then that's going to throw your concentricity off, your realignment if it reflows, all of that stuff. So you have to have tricks on trying to hold it under the water till it's already set. And then basically it can't touch anything after that. And so try to get water off of it without it touching anything to blow the water off. The guides going into the polar have to be exact they need to or it's just going to be hanging up on that and and so then also when you're doing this type of method you can't really vacuum and so then you're having to pump id air inside of it and you get sticky thin wall tubing and you're pumping id air in and if you try to cut it or if you try to pinch it off that little bit of pinch sends the airwave back and so we've made a couple devices here that allow us to take this material up keeps it straight, keeps it from kinking so that it just holds the OD very consistent. And then 
we allow it to cure, we can cut it off and then, and then we'll ship it to people. So just taking it up and cutting it to length is uh, it's such a hard thing to do. It's just not, I don't know. We have one, one or two people that can handle this stuff just because of the stress of it. And yeah, I mean, it's going through the laser mic at, at 10 thou smaller than it actually is. And then it might grow another 10 thou after that. And so you're trying to hold six thou, but you're running at 20 thou below where you're going to be hitting. And so we just have tricks on how to handle that and get everybody to where, you know, when we spend all day making this, it's going to actually pass specs tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. What's so, the, the, the lowest durometer or softest material that you've worked with? We tried to work with 25A, which is crazy because you think ADA is ADA soft. We run 40A a lot. So yeah. it's kind of like a TPE. So it's 40A of this material can be a lot easier than say like a 74 Tico Flex, just uh -huh. because the TPE is not as tacky, but it is very stretchy. And we've made it into really small products before and it's, it's tough. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, that, we run, we run a bunch to 60 and so those are more too well. So it's just a different family. And so when you think about like a soft urethane, it's very different than a soft TPE. So. Okay. Gotcha. I understand that you developed some extrusion technology to embed a metallic or monofilament structural members longitudinally within the wall of tubing yes. to increase the strength, the reduce elongation, or it could be, you know, a signal wire or fiber optic yes. wire. How do you approach an application like that? Do you work with the customer to, to define the, the type of structural member and the positioning within the wall? to kind of maximize the balance between flexibility and bending? Or is the customer just sending you a print saying, can you make this? Is it an iterative process? We've done, we've done both. Okay. Yes. So we've done both with customers to where, you know, they thought they wanted metal in the wall and they didn't want metal. And then we tried peak in the wall. And I've also done a metal inside a multi-lumen wall. That was just the customer's design. And then one of them, we have one that's in production that we put some filaments in the wall. And that one was actually a drawing already. And I think the, the customer was having trouble getting it consistent. And so we went through a lot of iterations on tooling to make that product. And so, yeah. And so one of the things is like, we draw down tooling. I mean, your, your polymer draws down to make, to make a tube. But if you're putting a filament in the wall, a filament does draw. And so you basically have to use a one-to-one -one drawdown ratio and it makes it really tricky and it's not something those people are used to doing. So that was something that we had to learn the hard way. We're like, <laughs> this is not working yeah. and what's going on. And I'm going, oh, we're trying to draw this into the wall and it's, this stuff doesn't draw. And right. so then it's leaving scars and little tear marks. And so we learn. Okay. Is it typically a, a single Structural I've member or is it multiple? Both. Okay. So typically you would want two. And so what this is used for is it's really flexible tube, but then because you got members in the wall, it has a huge tensile strength as well. And so it's like 
a piece of spaghetti that can lift a 10 pound weight and you're going what and that that's what it feels like and so gotcha. it's just limp like a noodle but then has so much tensile strength from what's in the wall and, th- and that's that's what it's used for is that they need it to have that force so so you talked about earlier about building some of your own equipment payoff. So I imagine you built the payoff to deliver that structural member within the wall, the tubing as well, right? Yes. Yeah. We, we've been through about four or five iterations of payoffs actually, just because you try to, I mean, we're, we're making it and we're like, oh, we see, we get a complaint about, Hey, this looks like it's like popping to where maybe the payoffs got too much tension or bouncing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. Yeah, we've we've been through a lot, and we have a really good one now. So, cleans everything, pays it off, and it's a really short distance. So, if, you know, if you're using a polymer filament, and it's wanting to bounce a lot, it will want to stretch. And so, mm-hmm. you want to get that distance as close as possible because obviously a ten foot piece is going to stretch more than a one foot piece. And so, if you can limit the distance from a payoff to the back of your extrusion head with fibers, then you limit the amount of bounce and stretch and you get a lot more stability. So gotcha. Gotcha. Tyler, this has been a great discussion. It, it went by so quick. It's so fascinating <laughs> always to talk to you. We, I've mentioned before we started, we've sat at bars and hung out and just talked about extrusion. And now we got to do it on a podcast together. So I'm yeah. fortunate to, to have this conversation with you today. Yeah, it's been good. I like to share knowledge with people and, you know, I mean, I'm, we have a couple of things that are secret that we don't share, but I mean, I, I like to educate people and just at least there's enough tubing out there that I'm not worried about somebody trying to take what I do. I mean, we, yeah. we're comfortable with what we're doing. We, we make a product. And so it's cool to just be able to go out and talk about extrusions and let other people maybe get some ideas and help them out. So yeah, Excellent. there might, Excellent. somebody might be listening and they might be like, I want to get into that. And <laughs> you know what? Go for it because it's yeah. a fun industry. So yep. I, I encourage, I encourage people. I'm like, do it. It's, it's very yeah. cool. So it is, it is a great industry and uh, Hey, thanks again, Tyler. It's been great. Steve, thank you very much. I appreciate talking to you, buddy. All right. See you, buddy. All right. Thank you for listening to MedEx, the medical extrusion podcast presented by us extruders. Please subscribe to make sure you're getting the latest episodes. All links are available in the show notes.